Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey. You know, talking about a good kid, it makes it easy to root for. He's a solid young man. I really like him a lot. Judd Zolgad. You know, Uh-oh. that's a shame. <laughs> but... Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. It's got to be better um, on both sides of the basketball. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I trust my teammates full-heartedly when they get the ball that they could go out there and score every single time. And um, when you're playing with such talented players, it, sometimes the game plan is that. So... Uh, I got to be better all around uh, if I want to help my teammates out as much as possible. All right, Mackie and Judd, Wolves and Rockets tonight. We'll see what happens in game two. Uh, he is a former longtime NBA championship point guard. He's got uh, several rings with the Bulls back in uh, in that first three-peat. Current NBA agent and his new podcast you can find on Podcast One. It's called In the Key. BJ Armstrong, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining, BJ. BJ, BJ, we got you, BJ? Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Hello, how you guys doing? Good, man, right. how you doing? Um, I'm doing very well, well, doing very well. And, uh, no, thank you guys for being there. Such fond memories in Chicago and many years up there. And, and uh, really appreciate you guys having me on the show. So, uh, so uh, Derek Rose, who's who's one of your clients, was uh, was very good in Game 1. We're, we're torn on Game 1 because we feel like for the Timberwolves, uh, it's like the, the Timberwolves – Almost won that game on the road in Game One, but there are so many things and opportunities that slip by. But from a Derrick Rose standpoint, what's been uh, kind of your assessment of where he's at as your client here? What what, what does his future look like, and what did you think of Game One, BJ? Well, it was very encouraging uh, effort by the entire team. You know, anytime you have a team, anytime you have a opportunity to win on the road in this league, especially in the playoffs, you know, it's very encouraging. Um, you know, there's no moral victories there, but you know, the Houston had a great season they have the best record in the league at this point uh or during the course of the regular season and that's a very good ball club so for them to be able to play you know for a full you know 48 minute game and have an opportunity to win that game is a very encouraging sign for them and uh, i know you know Derek and the team was very pleased with their effort and we'll see what happens this evening though what are, are the tricks in your mind if they exist to uh, to slowing james harden well, I, I, I think the – I don't think you slow James Harden down. I think he has it figured out at this point of his career. He's seen just about every double team. He's seen about every way that they're going to defend screen roll. And he knows basically what the teams are going to do against them defensively. And it's his job to make the proper basketball plays so that he can do what he needs to do, which is obviously to score and score in bunches. Um, I, I think what they need to do is to figure out their bigs. I mean, Carl Towns, this is his first time in the playoffs. Um, he needs to figure out how to make an impact on the game 
but he doesn't have to score to do that. And I think for a young player, that's always important to know that don't allow yourself to be put in a box where the only way you can impact the game is by scoring. You know, he can defend, he can block shots, he can rebound, he can anchor their team defensively and do other things that will contribute to the success of the team. Obviously, he's a great scorer and a great young talent, but he needs to figure that out because the playoff is a different game. Yeah. So, B.J. Armstrong is our guest here on Mackie and Judd, and you can find his new podcast on Podcast One, which is one of our. You can find our podcast on Podcast One, too, Mackie and Judd. It's called In the Key. Uh, check it out. So, we're still... We're still trying to feel out Tom Thibodeau here in this town and figure out, you know, if you know if this is going to work. You won three championships with the very zen-like Phil Jackson. Is there a more opposite set of coaches in NBA history than Tom Thibodeau and Phil Jackson? Well, wow, that's a great question. You know, Phil. You know, the, the thing I've learned over the years as a player, as a you know, working in the front office, and now as an agent is that it, all, it always boils down to one thing, talent. <laughs> you know, when you, when you start off with a Michael Jackson, I mean a Michael Jackson, a Michael Jordan. Michael Jackson was talented too, though. <laughs> yeah, he was very talented. <laughs> and a Scottie Pippen. You know, it's a little different coming into a situation where, you know, you don't know who the players are and how they're going to evolve in this league. So, Phil Jackson was incredible when he had teams that were – had already had success, and he was able to really push them over the top. I mean, he's a phenomenal organizer, people skills, and if your team is ready to win, you know, Phil Jackson, you know, he has shown that he has the capability to do that. Not only he did it in Chicago with six, I mean, he did it in L.A. with, like, five. So, you know, and those teams with those level of players were exceptional, talented exceptionally talented individual players, but what he was able to do with the team and his offense was phenomenal. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say with Tom because Tom hasn't been given that same opportunity. Um, you know, he's coming to situations there, you know, in Minnesota where he's gotten them into the playoffs. That's a huge step. What he did there in Chicago, I think, speaks for itself. Now, whether or not you can, you know, he's able to do it and sustain it like Phil Jackson, that's yet to be seen. But what he's done in this league, you certainly have to give him credit for it because, you know, he he's a basketball guy. He's a basketball man. And, uh, you know, I enjoy being around Tom because he loves the game. No doubt about it. Anyone who knows Tom knows that the conversation is always going to come back to basketball in some way, some form or fashion with him because he's such a basketball person. And uh, he's what I term a lifer. He's going to be doing basketball no matter what, uh, in some form or fashion, for the rest of his life. Yeah, and and BJ, when you when you think back to the Chicago Bulls run in the '90s, and then when like when you look at teams, the like Golden State, and what they've done the last few years, when you have the talent, and then you get to that next level where you're cashing in on it and winning championships. What are some of the ingredients that you think back to, or that you notice in your time just around basketball? That, that are most important when taking that talent and actually delivering at the end of the rainbow? Well, there's, there's two variables that I've seen that you absolutely need in every organization. You need talented players. I mean, I mean, this is a talented league. I mean, you can have great preparation. You can have great game plans. But you actually need the talent to go out there and execute it. So, you know, that's the first. And then you need toughness. you you got to have a team that's mentally and physically tough. And, the, you know, the mental toughness that it takes 
to grind day in and day out during the course of a regular season, which is 82 games, and all the ups and downs of the playoffs. I mean, it's a grind when you get to the playoffs and, you know, you're playing playoff basketball, and then you have to get to the next level, which is playing championship caliber basketball. And, of course, you can't deny the character that's needed. You know, high-character teams, meaning teams who are capable of doing the things that they have to do. You know, you never want to beat yourself in the playoffs. You want to force the other team to actually win that game. And uh, that's very tough to do uh, night in and night out uh, because emotionally the, the playoffs are such a drain. But when you play the game where you're going to force the other team to just, you know, just play really mistake-free basketball, that's, that's very tough to do. Everyone's going to, you know, very rarely do you have a series where they're just, they're just playing mistake-free basketball. You may have a game or two. So when you can play the game with that level of, uh, of, of excellence and play it with well, I just termed it high-character basketball, where you're forcing the other team to always do the right thing play after play after play, that, that really increases your chances to win in this league and especially win a championship. How long does it take young players to learn this, though, to get this toughness? Because it's got to be a process, right? How long do, yeah. does it take before they start to to grasp on to, to what it really takes to, let's say, make a playoff run? Well, you know, for you know, I can recall when it happened for me uh, as a player, and, and there's only one way to get it, and that's through experience. You know, um, I remember very vividly when uh, I think it was 1990, when we lost to the Pistons in Game 7. And I remember when we, when we lost, and I was there in Chicago, and we all kind of looked at each other, and nothing was said. But I think we really, at that moment, everyone in that room that was in that locker room after that game, we understood that feeling of failure. And you really began, we all began that summer to really work with a sense of urgency that's necessary to, to play in this league and really win in this league. So once I understood, you know, that, wow, you know, this, this is the type of feeling that I didn't want to have, I didn't know what to do, but I just knew what I didn't want. And I didn't want to have that, that year in and year out sense of like, oh, almost could have, would have. So the sense of urgency that you need and you begin to respect how difficult it is to win in this league, I think was the turning point for me uh, as a player as I look back on my, uh, on, on my playing days. And I think once players begin to understand that, working with the sense of urgency, that it's not always going to be this way. You're, you're not always going to have an opportunity to win. You know, injuries could happen at any time. So taking nothing for granted was this sense of urgency that, was needed for me to really get a grasp of how important every moment that you have to compete in this league uh, or in any, any where you're playing is to work with that sense of urgency. I think was very important for young people to learn. Yeah. Uh, BJ Armstrong, another minute or two with BJ Armstrong here uh, from the, in the key podcast you can find on podcast one. Uh, if you're, if you're comfortable answering this, what I, I'd love to ask you what just the, the relationship between Tom Thibodeau and Derek Rose seems like one of the, strongest in the NBA the last seven or eight years. They almost felt destined to rejoin each other at some point. Um, can you shed details on their the, just the nature of their relationship going back through the years? Well, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, um, you know, as I, as, I, as I watch the relationship from, from afar. You know, I obviously I, I know and I work with Derek very closely, and I've known Coach Thibodeau over the years, 
you know, as a, as a player and as a person in this league. I think the thing that they both understand is they're extremists. They're, they're very, they have a very extreme personalities. And Derek is very quiet. But in, in his quiet moments, you know, he has a very extreme appetite to want to win. I mean, Derek has no other, he has no other, you know, objective really in the game. He's not worried about scoring points. He's not worried about becoming all NBA or MVPs or any of that. He just wants to win at all, at, at all costs. And then you look at Tom, you know, coach is like, he prepares more than anyone I've seen. Like he just talks basketball all the time. And I don't care if it's the summer. I don't care if it's during the season. I don't care when you when you will meet him. He's always talking basketball. And when they look opposite, but they're actually the same. And I think that's what they understand about each other because they have these extreme personalities where it's it's all or nothing. Yeah. Derek is all in on the basketball part, and Coach Thibodeau is all in. And even though they look different. It's actually the same, and I think that's what they understand about each other is that they they just love the game. They just want to play. They really don't want to, you know, you know, Derek is not really trying to be a media. He's not trying to be popular. He's not, he's not on social media. He's not any of those things. He just wants to play basketball, and anyone who knows Coach Thibodeau, that's what he does. <laughs> coach is, he's just a basketball coach, and they have an appreciation and understanding that I think only those two can share but that is my sense of knowing both of them because when you talk to both of them, that's all you really want to talk about. Yeah. They want to talk about basketball. I feel like we need to get Tibbs an Instagram account where he can just post that, that dark photos from a film room every night. I, I always tease him all the time. I say, we're going to talk about something for five minutes outside of basketball. Let's talk about a, a current event. And? He always laughs. He laughs, and he'll give me a little news. He'll give me a little news, and then he'll go back back to the basketball. What do you think of this play? What do you think? I mean, it really it's fascinating because he loves the game. I mean, and no one can deny that about him. He loves it. He lives it. He breathes it. And you know what? People talk a good game, but he actually does it. And yeah. uh, you know, he's a lifer. I mean, he's that's that's what he does. That's hilarious. Hey, what what can people find if they go and subscribe to and download the In the Key podcast? What can they uh, expect there, BJ? Well, you, you know what? First, you you know, we have a very entertaining uh, co-host that I work with, Gerald Brown. Who uh, we're talking basketball. You know, we're talking entertainment, and we're having fun. And uh, and we talk a little. You know, we talk a little music. We love a little music there. You know, we all grew up in the in the hip hop culture and. We talk a little music. We have some musical guests. You know, we're doing our show from L.A., so we have a lot of entertainment. But we have a lot of fun there. So you'll get a little basketball. You'll, you'll, you'll get a little, you know, a little this, a little that about your team. And then uh, you get a little entertainment in it. And for, for, for all of the fun that we have, you know, we'll throw a little music in there. So uh, we talk about a lot, a, a variety of things, and we have a lot of fun there. Right on, man. Hey, it was uh, great catching up. And if you, wanna, if you want more B.J. Armstrong, it's the In the Key podcast on podcast one. Thank you, BJ. Thanks. Oh, thank you, guys. All right. Uh, that was that was interesting. Like that that last answer. But that's tips. Derek Rose and Tom Thibodeau yeah. was uh and, and 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 if you're joining us later, BJ Armstrong is Derek Rose's agent, mm-hmm. and and he's doing he's been he's done some media in the past, and he's a he's a gregarious personality. It was fun having him on. I just wonder what it's like to play for Tibbs if you're not if you don't love basketball like like he does, which is the majority of guys who probably play for him. 
don't you like ask? I, why don't you ask? Uh, why don't you ask Andrew? Oh, I'm sure I'd get an honest answer. Or I, actually, I think I think Tyus and Cat. I would like to know what Cat really thinks, because he gives you the standard. Oh, Tibbs has my back. I'd love to know if you have pumped him full of truth serum. What Cat really thinks of but Tom Thibodeau? Yeah, and I think. I feel like their personalities in terms of their devotion to basketball and winning and obsession with I think Tyus and Cat fit that, but the problem for them is they're just so young and inexperienced compared to like Butler and Rose and Taj Gibson. It's more of the learning curve that is probably the but gap. Like if you go to Tibbs with a problem, girl problem or something, does he just look at you like, what are you talking about? Just girl rotate. <laughs> like coaches, like co- coaches, you can go, you know, hey, coach, I got some problems in life. I'd like to talk to you. Yeah, I'm a dad. I'll help you out. Then you got Tibbs. Just rotate, okay? Switch. Switch. Switch, switch girls. New girl. We Carl. Big, wow. Rotate, switch, and Carl could all be relationship advice pieces. Let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota for a second here. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard. The annual tire sale is going on right now, which means you can buy Three tires and get the fourth one for just a dollar on any Toyota. Uh, you can also get a free battery inspection as part of that just to make sure that everything is good and safe for the roads when the snow eventually melts and you're making road trips up to the cabin, whatever it is. Uh, you can make sure that you've got peace of mind with the family in tow at Luther Brookdale Toyota. I'm also on the website right now, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, where I love to check out the pre-owned inventory selection where you can get some great deals on pre-owned Toyotas. Here's a couple good examples. For instance, a 2014 Camry SE with just, let me see here, 60,000 miles for $12,000. I mean, you're going to drive that for another 150,000 miles if you so choose. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. It's Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. Stall is parked in the high slot. He was knocked down by Morrissey. And is slow in getting up. Brodeen gets it over for Dumba. Back up for Brodeen. He'll get it up. Dumba down into the corner. And you can see Stahl is ailing up there. He's going to head to the bench while play continues. My take is it the same take that everybody in the building saw it as the refs looked at it and they decided not to call it because uh, we were already on the power play. Cost us the game. Nino has a breakaway. It's Morrissey that breaks it up. He should be out of the game. Uh, You know, I can't believe uh, still uh, a little heated about it, but I got to watch what I say. Uh, But they were looking right at it and they told us they didn't see it. So you, you make up your minds. Mm. And uh, the ball has started rolling down the hill for uh, Josh Morrissey, the Jets defenseman who hit Eric Stahl in the neck last night, cross-checked him to be suspended. The NHL Department of Players Safety will uh, have a hearing for that cross-check at mm. 3.30 this afternoon. Well, that does he, no good. He no ain't good. playing Friday night. But, like, you know. I mean, it's too late, but he ain't playing Friday night. That's one of the most annoying things in sports, and it's just part of it. I you know, No, in this case, I'm with you and Louie. I don't think they missed it. I think they chose not to call it. I, well, I think that's that's an accurate assessment. But it doesn't do any good when like when they send out the the last two minute report in basketball. Yeah, and they go over like they sent one out after game one, Rockets and Wolves. That so when Jimmy Butler missed his what wound up being a two point attempt, that Wiggins got fouled on the rebound, and there would have been like a second and a half left. That oh yeah, they missed that. It actually should have been Wiggins shooting free throws. Wolves down three. Okay, well they probably went to won the game, but. 
Uh, but this that's is an amazing thing to miss but with this, a game on the line. But this is much worse because if you really go down the path of the Jets were on the power play and Morrissey cross-checks Stahl in what is, I'll say it again, an assault. It's not a penalty. It's an assault. And they chose not to call it. If he had hooked Eric Stahl and Eric Stahl had tripped and fell and it was an egregious miss, you would say to yourself, well, that's a really bad miss. Mm-hmm. And if they chose not to call that, you would say, well, that's BS. Um, but it's sort of all part of the game of you don't you don't want to give the Jets a five-on-three. But when you hit somebody in the ear and neck, basically, when you take your stick and then you have the audacity to say, well, I didn't really see him and I did it. When you can clearly see in photos, he's looking at Eric Stahl as he cross-checks him in the head. In a league, by the way, that they try and deny this as much as they can, but in a league that is having as much trouble or is certainly going down the path is having as much trouble when it comes to concussions as football. Like that play is the definition. If I'm Eric Stahl, I join the lawsuit today. That is the definition of why the league is being sued. And for and if the officials really saw that and said, "Well, we can't give the we can't give the, the Wild a five on three. That's not fair." When Stahl was cross checked in the head, yeah, that is reason to jump on board that suit today. And in fact, it's justification to take that in, into court and say, "Well, this is the type of thing they're not calling." Now, I'm splitting hairs here, but I think like the the central core of the lawsuit is that. The NHL withheld information like the NFL did a long time ago, and maybe up until recently, about head injuries and the and the damage that right. Like, it, 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 like, like you're not suing because officials are missing cross checks. No, but what, suing but that for like lasting that effects that aren't that disclosed. doesn't that doesn't help their cause though. If they are overlooking, if they are purposely overlooking what amounts to the the very way that that you sustain a concussion it's bad enough that you crash into the boards or you fall and you hit hit your head yeah. and those things are accidents this is no accident i had other people telling me and i and this is you know people who follow hockey during games a lot more granularly than i am if that's even a word but like just like focus on the details that the jets are one of the grabbier teams in the nhl is they, that true they slow the game down that, a lot that, and they're they good will, at it that you're like without getting called for a penalty yes. they'll grab sticks they'll grab arms they're elbows things it. like that yes. and i hate that and i and as a guy who who and we could get into this more later too, I think I would probably like '80s hockey in terms of the flow of the game and the scoring and the fact that every game was five to four on average. And it bothers me that the NHL allows teams like the Jets just for the sake of the game being boggy. Open it up. I don't need some third line idiot grabbing the elbow of a skilled skater like Granlund. Yeah. I want I want that to open up. I want I want skilled players to have a better chance to light the lamp and to do something meaningful in the game. And the game now can be when when it's played at its best so fast. Because the the style that, that that you're talking about from when I was a kid was fun to watch and there were lots of goals scored, but go back and watch it, it looks really slow. The style now when played at its purest form is incredibly fast. But what the Jets do and what they failed to do in Game 3, and they did last night, and it makes for a boring game, is they they slow you through the neutral zone. So they slow you down. They gum up that area of the ice. So then you're forced to dump the puck in, but they're really big defensively. So when you dump the puck in and chase it, they slow you again, out-muscle you, and move the, the puck out, which is an effective style, but it's not much fun to watch. And that's not even cheap. It's just boring. My frustration today does not lie with the loss. My frustration today lies with this is why people can look at hockey and say it's a joke. 
That's my frustration. Yeah. And, and it makes me true. really mad because it's a great sport and I want people to like the, the sport. But I'm sorry, if you come to me today and say, are you serious? That's your sport? I mean, that was wrestling last night. Yeah. If the officials, at least the officials in wrestling, are supposed to watch things develop and miss them. Are you sure one of the referees wasn't distracted by uh, someone on the bench? You know, how like, yeah. wrestling managers will jump up on the apron? Is it possible that an assistant coach for the Jets jumped up next to the boards and pulled the official in close? I am dis- while a third liner grabs the brass knuckles in a steel chair, I am- a flaming barbed wire bat. I am disgusted today by the fact that this is the very reason why there's a lot of people that think yeah. this this is not a major league sport and it's a joke. We needed Jim Ross to be calling that play. Yeah, center ice last night. You're right. By God, no, no, At he's least- broken him in half. <laughs> Eric Stahl. It's broken in half. It would have been fitting. As God is my witness. <laughs> Sad but true. All right, let's get an update from Puerto Rico when we come back. Apparently the entire island has a power outage, but there's businesses and hotels in the stadium. They have generators. So they're going to play the game, according to some reports, with generator power tonight and citizens living in the dark, which is unfortunately there's... So much to be repaired yet in Puerto Rico, uh, but we'll we'll come back and get an update from Puerto Rico from Dan Hayes, the Athletic Mackie and Judd. Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On 1500 ESPN, Mackie and Judd are talking twins now with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for the Athletic, Dan Hayes, courtesy of Prime Mortgage Lending of Bloomington. Home is where your story begins. Here it comes. Curveball swung on, hit high and deep to right. Back on it is Grossman at the track, looks up. That ball is gone. Home run, Lindor. They're going bonkers in Puerto Rico. All right. Yeah, Twins got clubbered last night. Oh, I get it. That's good. Klubert. Yeah, he's oh. he's a really good pitcher for the Indians. Not sure if you heard of him. Uh, and then it's not going to get a whole lot easier. They are going to play, it sounds like, tonight. It, it, Carrasco against Jose Barrios in his uh, native land. But Dan Hayes from The Athletic is down there. We saw the news come out an hour ago about the, the island-wide power outage. So what can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because here I am in a hotel room. And I have all my power. And, you know, I think we're on generators and... Um, you've seen some tweets and from the mayor saying that the generators are working. Um, I, I will believe it when I when I see it, just because you know logistically, look, we're we're in a, a town right now that still has stoplights that have been out for months. The power, you know, not working. I mean, I just wonder how they're going to put twenty thousand people handle the traffic in and out and people coming from all over the island. It, it's I'll believe this when I see it because it just sounds like a nightmare to try to put a game on yeah. in this. But but they say it's going to happen, so we'll we'll see here. Uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. So you you expect that there is an off chance, Dan, that they could still call this thing? Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, you never know. It's it's such a huge event, and to put all the resources on yep. uh, for a game, I mean, you just have to wonder if that's. What will happen? I, I've I've heard some skepticism behind the scenes that, but they want to put it on. Obviously, this is a great showcase for for uh, Puerto Rico to kind of show it's recovering. And you know, yet here we are seeing the the realities of what's still going on here seven months after the hurricane hit. Um, that you know, there's still a, a very big struggle. This is the first island wide power outage. Um, apparently, 
there have been like smaller blackouts everywhere for you know a couple times like like i mean even forty thousand people still don't have their power from the original hurricane but they've had like a week ago there was a, a partial blackout and i guess those have been happening you know frequently yeah so have you had much of a chance to uh to, to peruse around we saw some photos kind of overhead shots of all the houses that still have blue tarps in place of roofs and for people who maybe have all right the hurricanes took place in the early fall and you know life goes on if you're in the the 48 central states here and uh but it it sounds like from everything you're describing that it's still a major major problem that that a lot of Americans who are you know in Minnesota or anywhere else on the mainland are probably not in tune with yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we went to uh, to um, Eddie Rosario's hometown there, Dan. It was like a seventy-five minute bus ride up through the mountains, and uh, he's in from Guayamon, and and it's on the other side, and it's a really beautiful drive. But you couldn't help but notice all the blue tarps. Like we rolled through um, on the way there, Francisco Lindor's hometown was on the right side, and it felt like you know three out of every. 10 houses still had blue tarps on the roofs to to cover the the issues that you know i mean you can tell that there's a lot of recovery that has gone on i it, it, it's been mostly flawless around here as far as you know everyday life but street lights or the highways are not illuminated at night because they don't have enough power to cover the the lights and it's just it's it's you can tell that it's still very affected and, and talking to, to drivers and stuff, um, you know, locals there, there, there's a lot of enduring spirit and people are excited about when, how much progress they've made in seven months. The first guy I talked to said he thought it was going to be two years when it first happened. And, and he was so happy, but he had been out of power for four months. And, um, you know, even Eddie Rosario, like his parents moved to Florida because they were out of power until December in their wow. town. And, and uh, they just they they moved. They they decided it was time to move to Florida with him to Orlando. And so it, it, it's a little bit of uh, both because there is a lot of amazing things that have gone on. But you can tell the people still are are feeling it here too. Given all all that, I certainly don't feel bad for the Twins, Dan. But that being said, how how much is this team? Uh, looking forward to getting back to a n- normal schedule. I mean, the last, yeah. the last, normalcy would be the, the last yeah. what three weeks, but week in particular have been crazy. You play on Thursday, you get snowed out, and then then you, you travel uh, to play the games there. How much is this team just looking forward to getting back to a day to day baseball schedule? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, they they have the day off tomorrow. Um, we'll see if today happens, and then if this happens, it's. It's an inconvenience for them, but obviously life is far more important here. And and uh, right. but but they they have had the most random schedule. And and to face Corey Kluber last night after five days off, it was like, yeah, good luck. I mean, how yeah. how do you go up against that guy on any? If you're playing five days in a row, you're having a challenge facing him. And he wasn't particularly outstanding. He was still missing a little bit here and there last night, but. It was enough that you know cold bats versus that. Uh, it you know you just, I mean it was it was definitely evident that they looked a little out of rhythm and and so they have three in the dome in Tampa. Those are getting played. Uh, that's I'm, I'm guessing that they're loving the idea of three in a row there and, and New York four in a row and, and just the regular rhythm of a season. They I mean, and it's happened throughout baseball. We've seen it where a bunch of teams have had their games canceled. I know the Cubs got canceled again today. 
a lot of the teams in the Midwest have just had their their um, schedules kind of stunted. It's just it goes for a day or two, then you stop, and then you come back a day or two later. And it definitely has been no rhythm for for a lot of teams, but the Twins definitely have had it uh, worse. I mean, I think they have the fewest games in baseball, and 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 you're looking at being already now 20. I think today is day 21 of the season, and, and they've got 12 games, so it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> think about that. You just said that a major league baseball team is looking forward to three games in the trop. <laughs> when you say that, you no know how off that. the tr- off the charts and track that, that a season has gotten for you. Absolutely. There's no question. That's not a place that people enjoy going to. And uh, they're going to be like, this is heaven. It's 72 degrees and there's not a cloud in the sky. It doesn't matter. So it's uh, it's going to be funny. Uh, not, not to put extra pressure or extra meaning on one game tonight, but I think Jose Barrios has had a tendency in his, in his young career so far to get kind of feast or famine, a little too amped up in games and uh, maybe have a two and two thirds quick exit when he's when he's not dialed in and, and calm like that. That would be maybe a worry tonight if they play this game and you're playing a really good lineup and you're pitching in your home, you know, your uh, your home territory. And uh, I could see it going one of two ways. I, Derek Wetmore said this in our studio a couple of days ago. He's either going to give up like six runs in three innings and be out or he's going to pitch a gem in front of his family and friends. No, that that's the challenge by far. And it you see it a lot in young pitchers where they get so amped up. And I mean, I think that's one reason why the twins waited until the second day to start him. They wanted him to kind of be here and experience it. And by the way, uh, the, the Lindor highlight of the home run last night. I mean, talk about like, it, it doesn't matter what team you're a fan of. That was one of the most amazing baseball moments I've seen. Um, it, it was, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it just to, because of what it meant for the, the, for Puerto Rico, for what it meant for him, um, I, that place was a madhouse last night, and and so Barrios got to soak it up at least, and I, I think they wanted him to kind of go through everything and do all the the, the excursions to the hospital. They had, he and Eddie Rosario threw a party on on Monday night for all their friends and family and and the twins, and basically I think they wanted them to kind of get a chance to be here and, and not be over amped by the point, you know, he's been here now for 48 hours and hopefully it gives them a little bit more pause. And, but you're right. I mean, if he, if he is over amped against that lineup, it could be trouble really quickly, but at the same time, everybody's going to be living on every pitch that he throws because the way they treated Lindor last night, you know, and Rosario, Eddie Eddie got a very nice uh, reception. There was some Eddie chance when he was up, I think, his second or third time up. And um, But this is a pitcher who's going to potentially throw 120 pitches out there, and, and they're going to be living and dying with every pitch. So it, it either can go one of two ways for sure. And, and if, if he's getting going early on, and he's been so great so far in this season – that you know, we know it's capable. He's capable of it, and he's done a great job with it so far. So um, that will definitely kind of you'll know early, I would imagine. Yeah. So Dan Hayes from the Athletic, theAthletic.com/slash/twins. Uh, if you want to read his stuff all season long, you can subscribe. Can you confirm or deny has Joe Mauer been dressed up as Cigar Joe the entire trip so far, or was it just for the plane ride? <laughs> I think it was just for the plane ride. We we did not have pregame clubhouse access, and I really <laughs> wanted to try and track down. <laughs> that photo yesterday. We talked to him ever so briefly last night after the game, um, and <clears throat> you know, on the the international events or the uh, the MLB calls them international events. I know this is obviously the United States, but they have a game coming up in Mexico, so they put in 
they call it international rules, just because it's a, a five-hour plane flight down here. So trying to get a player here from Rochester would be extraordinary to get someone here, basically. And so they allowed everyone to have 26 players for this series um, because it's, you know, outside of the normal, the mainland, basically. And so uh, essentially with, with this thing, there are different rules in place as far as what you can see and what you can't. And so clubhouse access was limited yesterday. But I really want to get to the bottom of that. I mean, that photo is... <laughs> It, it, it's almost as good as the uh, the Fernando Rodney shooting the arrow with the, the snow. With snow. No, it's better. That was amazing. No, it's, Cigar it's, Joe know, in this no, town is better. Very, <laughs> they're both amazing. Let's just say that. It's Let's the most personality that. he's shown in 14 years. He's a great guy, but it's the most personality he's shown in 14 it cool. years. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> he's got to embrace it. He's got to. He's got to come up with a whole you know alter ego type of deal, Turn Dan, heel. and just and just <laughs> embrace Cigar Joe as, as a different person. It would be the greatest yeah. thing ever if he now comes out and says, "Yeah, that's that's not really me, but it's a different guy." And I'll occasionally show up at the ballpark C- at Cigar Joe. Cigar Joe only hits bombs. Oh. Cigar Joe doesn't take walks. He 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 swings at every pitch and uh, mostly curses out reporters like Greg Popovich for dumb questions. That'd be great. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I'll, I'll I'll try and track it down today some more. Thank you, sir. Appreciate right. it. Bye, Dan. Uh, all right, guys. Safe thanks. travels. All right, all right. Dan Hayes from the Athletic, theAthletic dot com slash Twins. If you want to check out Cigar his Joe, goes to to the plate with his his silver bat. From a batting championship. That's oh. what he should do. Strut up to the plate and be oh. like, oh, I, I didn't mean to bring this to the plate. Breaking breaking rules. Wow. Yeah, that's the whole thing about it. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Uh, all right, let's go back to this Puerto Rico thing. Because, I, I mean, there's no power on the island today. So my case is going to be uh, shot down today. But I want to I make a case regarding baseball in Puerto Rico, despite all the hurdles. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. How long did the show last? More than seven hours. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. You know, casual Friday isn't enough, so sign your business up for the 28th annual Dress for LLS and enjoy casual Thursdays in May. Businesses across the state will come together in May to join LLS in the fight against blood cancers uh, cancers for a minimum donation of just $5. Participants earn the right to dress casual or in a company theme Thursdays in May. The top company will receive a bowling party at Park Tavern. For more info or to register, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Here it comes. Curveball swung on, hit high and deep to right. Back on it is Grossman at the track, looks up. That ball is gone. Home run, Lindor. They're going bonkers in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that was that was a cool moment last night. Not for the Twins, who got smoked by Francisco Lindor and Corey Kluber and company. Uh, but it was it was a festive atmosphere. The game is supposed to be played tonight, but there's a power outage across the island, and there might be some logistical nightmares. D- Dan Hayes didn't sound convinced that they're going to play that game, did he? Yeah, there's a lot of other things than just like, oh, we got a generator yeah, at the stadium. It's getting people to the ballpark. Right. There's who don't have power. Who I, I right. I'm sorry, but. If I'm at home without power all day long, am I really saying, oh, I got these two twins ducats for tonight? I mean, you'd like to go, and it's a big deal. But, yeah, saying that I'm going to jump in the car and go to a baseball game when I don't have power all day might not be exactly Or maybe you want to go best. somewhere that has power, so it might be the maybe. opposite, too. I All right, I know that there's a million logistical hurdles and infrastructure problems that would prevent this from happening in the short term, but I would love to see, before Major League Baseball... 
if they were thinking about expanding to different places, like, you know, another destination in Canada, Puerto Rico would be a really, really fun home destination for a baseball team. Think about the heritage and the great players from Roberto Clemente to uh, Carlos Beltran and all the great players in the major leagues right now. There's like there's great players from Puerto Rico. Roberto Alomar was celebrated last night. Um, obviously, it's a thousand miles from Miami, let alone other yeah, what's cities. The, what's the flight like? Time wise, well, I've never flown there, but Dan Hayes said five hours. I, I'm guessing that meant five hours from here. Yeah, because it's probably I, like another hour, hour and a half yeah. from Miami. Okay, it's like three, four hours to Miami. Okay, so if it's a thousand miles to your closest potential competitor. And you might have to also fly to the West Coast or up to, like, New York and Boston. Yeah, Player Association wouldn't be a big fan of that one. Travel would be really aggressive. Um, it'd have to be a lower-budget team because, you know, Puerto Rico, I did some research on this last night, but just out of curiosity, the median household income in Puerto Rico is $18,000 per year, mm-hmm. which is half of the poorest U.S. state's average uh, or medium income. Mississippi is about $36,000. So, you know, it's like, would, would fans be able to afford tickets? What, you know, what, how does the population stack up? Well, in San Juan, it's a population of 400,000, which is actually larger than St. Louis, Tampa, Pittsburgh, and a couple other big time cities. There's about three, three and a half million people on the island, which again, like that puts you in, as far as state population, it puts you like in the middle of the pack, somewhere between 30 and 40 in the U.S. So right. the numbers are there in terms of people, but infrastructure. They, so if local TV revenue plays a big role in you know, in team finances and payrolls, are you going to be able to put a Fox affiliate or some other affiliate down there that is going to generate enough ratings and revenue to get a team 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year? Like Probably not. You know, it's there's a lot it's of a cool idea, but, but yeah. I, I could see uh, certainly trying to play more games there and have more teams. You know, you could take the Rays and play th- them there sometimes or the Marlins. Uh, locating a team there would probably be very difficult. But it is. But I'm with you in the fact that it is cool to see how, how different cultures embrace baseball and, and how when you do observe that, it shows how boring baseball is in our country as far as, as fan bases go, and we're guilty of this too, but you know, you go to a baseball game and you walk around and drink some beers and it's really not, and the the event itself is the social event, but it's really not that much fun, and to what you're saying is you, you watch a baseball game there and it's like a soccer game. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean, that is very cool. Right, I think uh, I, I don't have this information off offhand, but I'm pretty sure if you were to rank the most popular sports in Puerto Rico, baseball would be number one, right? Or would it be number two? Would soccer be number one? Like baseball's Baseball is for sure one of the two most popular yes, sports. and I don't know if it would be one. In the it. mainland, the NBA and the NFL are ahead of baseball yep. by quite a bit. So there might be an effect, if you were to if you were to do this in five or ten years, it might be that, yes, Puerto Rico has, uh, it, it doesn't have the same you know average household income. It doesn't have the number of people that a New York or a Chicago has. But per capita, in terms of being hardcore baseball fans and willingness to invest themselves into a local baseball team, it might be so high on the priority list. That's why sometimes you see these small countries succeeding in soccer because everything they're right, so they're jacked up about soccer. Yep. And like in the US, we're so focused on football and basketball and these other things. If your baseball team isn't very good, you might not draw I, fans. In Puerto Rico, you'd probably still draw fans if your baseball team wasn't very good because they're obsessed with baseball. I think you're right about that. I think I think where you're also right though and where it would break down is is um 
TV. Because you'd get a TV contract, I think, but it wouldn't be great. And now that that's become uh, such a huge part of baseball. So it's a cool idea. It's really cool. It's really neat to, to see how, how they embrace the sport. But I bet from a business standpoint, it would be full of uh, logistical problems. It'd actually be easier in a sport like the NFL, where it's a national TV deal and, and like, there's no local affiliates. Yep. That's why the NFL works in small cities like Green Bay, Wisconsin, or Jacksonville, Florida. Buffalo, yes. You, yeah, Buffalo, New York. You can put an NFL team in almost any city in America, as long as there's a stadium mm-hmm. and as long as those games are on national TV, which they are they every the single Sunday. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be fun. I'd like to see it at some point. The travel, now that I think about it, the travel wouldn't be as bad. If it's only, an, let's say, an hour and a half or two-hour flight from Miami, I mean, like, what's the big, like, okay, from Miami to Seattle versus Puerto Rico to Seattle, it's going to be a long flight well, regardless. Well, why not start, start off by with, with the idea, for instance, of having the Rays play a package of games there? They've got the trap. It's awful. And until they, until they get a stadium outdoors there, mm-hmm. why not? Have your idea be instead of having a, a complete relocation there, have the Rays play fifteen games there. I mean, the Rays it's close the, enough. The, the Rays losing the fifteen home gates, despite the fact that they don't draw that many fans. Like the ownership would completely balk at that, unless they were not a, if they were compensated by the rest of the league somehow. Sure, I'm maybe. just I'm saying as a starting point, if the flight so if the flight from Florida is not that long, and you are meanwhile stuck in a dome stadium that is a complete farce, it's terrible. You could start off by offering them some type of compensation to have a package of games there, which would be fun. It wouldn't be a complete commitment, but it would be dipping your toe in the water more than baseball currently does. Yeah, I'm all. I mean, I'm all for more games there. It's it's fun. I know that it's not the best time, and they've and they're still recovering from the hurricane, so it's not. This is probably not the best time to be showcasing, uh, you know, the island. But we'll see if they play tonight with the power outage. All right, we got another hour to go here. And we touched on this with Louie, but I have to ask you a hockey question when we come back. All right. This is like boggling my mind the more I think about this. It okay. doesn't, it doesn't, it makes sense if, if you take my theory about hockey, but it doesn't make sense maybe if you follow yours. Mackie and Judd.